Oh, we forgot to do a spoiler warning at the beginning of this. Spoiler warning. Retroactive. Everybody, erase your brains. <laughs> no, we'll we'll cut this. We'll record one at the end and, and stuff it in. Oh, I was doing it as a joke. But... Mr. Pop. Dark. When the little birds are nesting, and I listen to them too, there's two lonesome people in the whole wide world. Hello and welcome to Miskatonic University Radio, a podcast exploring Fantasy Flight Games' Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm Dane. I'm Dan. And I'm Ben. And today, we're going to be talking about the end of the Dream Eaters cycle. Let's discuss Campaign B, the web of dreams, and tie a nice little bow on this unique interconnected campaign. Uh, and what's funny, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but I think it ended up being maybe kind of less interconnected than we maybe expected that it would be. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, no. <laughs> no? <laughs> I, I know you don't listen to the B when I read the story text or tell you the implications, but there's there's some stuff that interacts. Uh, well, I just mean less. Like, I, I think we, I, I almost kind of thought that it would be like a full campaign where you kind of switch back and forth between groups. And it really was maybe if, if I'd read more carefully what they described it as before starting it, it really did turn out like two almost completely separate four scenario campaigns with just a couple of integrated things. Right. Okay. I guess. Yeah. They like influence each other. Decisions can make one campaign harder or easier, but yeah. Yeah. I think mostly the mechanics are kind of disparate. Um, they're not like really interconnected, but the story is very much like together in that way. Yeah. But in, in any case, we, we already talked about campaign A, the, the, the dreaming campaign in a previous episode. So this is kind of like the sequel to that where we're going to talk about the waking world campaign, aka the spider zone. Too fast, too furious. Yeah, the spider zone, uh, too fast, too furious. <laughs> it's, uh, the, it's the web of dreams. The, the other one was called the dream quest. Come on. Right. That's, that's what we said. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, let's talk about campaign B, the web of dreams. Hooray. So last time we kind of like briefly touched on just like encounter cards that were uh, common across the whole campaign, just to pick a few highlights. Uh, this one kind of featured the uh, the whispers of hypnos was common hypnos. throughout all this. So I guess it was in like hypnos. one scenario. It was in like one scenario for campaign A too. I don't know. The whispers of hypnos was kind of cool. Uh, it's like the I think each campaign or most campaigns have like a peril card that has some decision that you have to make that like greatly influences the turn. Yeah. And this one was like, oh, you have to pick a skill and it penalizes that skill for everybody for the round yeah this was the the dunwich card that was similar to this is terror from beyond which made you pick a card type and everyone has to discard cards in their hand of that card type this was like that kind of where you pick a stat an attribute and until the end of the round uh all tests that anyone does using that attribute they get minus two to it which yeah i I liked i mean a lot of times it felt like there was a pretty clear choice and it wasn't really a very bad encounter card to draw but it was kind of interesting to have to think out ahead of time, what are we going to do this turn and pick something based on that? Yeah, it's kind of like low on supplies also. Like where you have to figure out like, okay, what is he going to do this turn? And what is she going to do this turn? Kind of a thing. So Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like the cards where you have to like try to evaluate the board state. But you're not allowed to ask you know, other people. <laughs> and everybody <laughs> else is staring at you like bug-eyed. And, and everyone's like, oh my God, please don't, please don't pick combat. Please don't pick combat. Yeah. And then you say, yeah. I guess combat. I, <laughs> I definitely did not appreciate being reminded of Hypnos, who was, I think, the hardest ancient one in Elder Chore, probably, or one of them. It was, like, really, really hard. I'm not sure if we even ever managed to beat him. Yeah, I remember him being tough. I assume they just had this artwork left over from Eldritch. 
It's pretty good. <laughs> Sorry, I had to stick it in there. They had to use it somewhere. Uh, I don't know. It probably means we won't, maybe we won't see Hypnos for a long time in this campaign, but that's that's probably fine. I think it was kind of like a B tier ancient one anyway in the in the mythos as a whole. So yeah. Oh, you mean like Yig? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yig's a little more prominent just because I think he's uh been around more in the Arkham games. Yeah, Yig shows up. Y- Yig shows up more. I think he was like one of the original eight in like the Arkham Second Edition. But yeah, that's I think continue to talk about encounter cards. Yeah, the the main memory I have of the encounter cards from this sub campaign is there were a lot of spiders. There were a lot of swarming spiders. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of different unique types of spiders that do different weird stuff. Yeah, arachnophobes beware. Yeah, the only other one I had noted here for general cards was the Threads of Reality, which did not have any webs on it. I don't think, but it was like a one that like pops out and it disables your highest cost asset. Oh, that's right. You have to trash another asset to get rid of it. Oh, yeah. It, like, blanks it? Yeah. And this one's normal because it had a rules quandary for me where I, it's not a card that's in your threat area, so I'm not sure other investigators can actually interact with it. So <laughs> that's only mostly why it's horrible, because I couldn't figure out uh, whether or not you're allowed to trigger or not. I think you guys just said, yeah, we can trigger it, and told me to be quiet. Yeah, it's, it's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, usually you don't listen. Usually you insist on trying to figure out the correct answer anyway. Yeah, whatever. It's fine. Furiously scroll through the Reddit on your uh, phone. In general, you know, something that, like, knocks out one of your assets in a weird way is kind of fun. And you could, like, choose to sacrifice something else to get it back on, so. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so the general premise of this campaign as a whole uh, was your friends have volunteered to take a nap, and you have to watch over them, and then they don't wake up from the nap. So you have to, uh, you take them to the hospital, and the doctor there uh, says, yeah, they're asleep. Uh, it's kind of weird, though. They won't wake up. It's exactly like that part in Inception where they go to, like, the Middle East and they meet up with Yusuf and they meet up with Tom Hardy and there's all the people in the big room taking a nap. It's just like that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly like that. But then spiders come out of everywhere. Yeah, but then, then some spiders start showing up and you gotta run around the hospital and then you meet Randolph and then he's like, yeah, we gotta go to the Dreamlands, but not by sleeping because that's too dangerous. So instead we climb down lots and lots and lots of stairs. Lots. Which is also kind of dangerous if you think about it. <laughs> Across multiple scenarios and eventually we you know, have to keep fighting bigger and bigger spiders. And that, that's basically the main concept of this campaign. Going underground, fighting spiders, not snakes. It's different than fighting snakes yeah, underground. Very different. The first scenario, a waking nightmare. Uh, as I said, we're at the hospital, uh, and some spiders start calling out of everywhere, and we start exploring the hospital to figure out why there's spiders. And I think the doctor tells us that there's like a patient that was rambling about dreams or spiders or something in the basement, so we have to figure out how to make a way there, uh, which involves uh, sliding down a staircase rapidly. The best staircase in the goddamn game. <laughs> 10 out of 10, Matt <laughs> um, Newman. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a stairwell location where you could choose to like uh, make an agility test or something to keep going down the stairs. Well, you, you, go down, you keep going down either way. It's whether you take damage or not. <laughs> yep. So that's pretty great. Uh, and then you kind of find Randolph. Or sorry, as you're trying to look for Randolph, infestations start happening on the map. Uh, which you like put a damage token, sanity token. I don't remember which one. Damage. Uh, one, one of the tokens on on a location. And that makes me in- indicates that there are spiders all over that location, and it makes some encounter cards at that location worse, and it makes some tokens worse, um, and it makes it like generally bad to be there. And you desperately go and try to find Randolph in the basement. Once you find him, he's like, "Oh yeah, they're spiders. Uh, they're not from our world. They're from the world between worlds or something. I don't, I don't know exactly what's he, but but the point is, he teaches us how to fight spiders. Uh, and then like the rest of the scenario is you're trying to like, kind of seal off the spider uh, infestations. And the, the mechanic of the infestations is, I think, at the end of every mythos phase. 
I don't remember because I never remember to do it while we're playing it until like we're halfway through the investiga- oh my God. Next investigation phase. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about it. You, you, draw, you draw a token from the infestation bag and that like makes the investigation spread or spawns some spiders or sometimes it doesn't do anything. Um, that's like a separate chaos bag, which is kind of neat. Yeah, that's the main just that scenario. Uh, if you can clear up all the infestations, you get like the, the best ending for that scenario. But if you don't get them all, it's kind of okay. Yeah, that's that's just that spiders and infestations. So what what did you guys think about this scenario? So flavorfully, it's honestly one of my favorite settings. I always wanted to go to a spooky haunted hospital. Uh, a lot of movies can do it really really well, and I was really eager to have that happen here. So I was really excited to have this setting. I like the setting a lot. I like the idea of the infestation spreading. I thought that the use of the basement was really cool, but my main gripe with the scenario was just the infestation test itself. I thought it was a really cool way to do it, but I forgot it literally every single time. <laughs> every single time. I've played through this multiple times too, and literally every single time my group and I would be like, all right, starting the investigator phase. All right, here we go. Wait, where's the other infestation token? Oh, God damn it. And then there would be the encounter cards <laughs> that also make you do infestation tests as well. So it's like, sometimes you do it there, and then you forget to do it at the beginning, and, and it's just... It's a little clunky. I started putting the infestation bag like on top of my play zone so that when my <laughs> turn started, I'd be like, oh, why is this here? Oh, yeah, I have to draw a token. <laughs> Those face. I mean, I've, so I've played it with, with three groups at this point, and every single one of the people in every single one of those groups forgot it literally almost every single turn. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't want to blame the scenario for this because it's it's like it's one extra thing to remember. It's, yeah, like, yeah, it shouldn't be that hard, right? But I don't know. Uh, I just... think it's tough when paired with the encounter card that actually just makes you do the investigation test because then you kind of trick yourself into thinking that you've done it already, and then you're like, oh wait, we didn't do it. So yeah. Just putting a card to remind myself is what I needed to do, but I didn't want to put that in my zone. You know, yeah, lots of cards going on. But I thought this was this was a really memorable scenario. Uh, I, I think that I'm going to remember this one kind of going down the way. There there are definitely forgettable scenarios, and this isn't one of them. I like the hospital a lot. I think for me, I, I, I sort of liked it, but it felt like it was sort of going back to a setting that we'd seen before because we'd already done the uh, Unspeakable Oath in Carcosa was sort of a similar thing where you're in a... I guess that was in like a sanitarium, so it's not exactly the same, but it felt similar enough. I thought this was I thought this was fine. I just... it I was a little bit disappointed that it felt a little bit similar to uh, Unspeakable Oath. Am I crazy? Like, did you guys feel that at all, or...? Uh, it You know, it's in a medical setting, and you do have to, like, go into the basement and find a guy, and then escape with a guy, kind of. Yeah. So it's yeah, similar yeah. in that sense. Like, story-wise, it's kind of similar. Yeah. I think mechanically, it's it's more like a different one in this. Yeah. It had more spiders in it than Unspeakable Oath did. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like this one for the most part. I liked it because there's, like, a, a point where you can, like, try to, like, choke off the infestations by, like, um, creating a... If you seal off seal off the staircase or something, it, like, chokes it out, so it, like, keeps it under control. I like, like, being able to aim for that strategy there. Because if it goes past that, it makes it way harder to seal everything. Yeah, so the skull yeah. uh, gets way worse, right, as the, as it goes along? Yeah. And I found, like, in... Because I did try this once in solo with a character that wasn't that good in solo. <laughs> but but <laughs> uh, I, tried doing, I tried doing Zoe on solo. Uh, it didn't, didn't go great uh, as a first time trying solo. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it seemed like it was hard to get, have enough actions to move back across the entire hospital and seal everything. Gotta use those stairs effectively, man. Those are the best <laughs> stairs in this goddamn game. The stairs are great. Yeah, they're definitely very cool. But no, the real reason I struggle with Zoe is because of those orderlies. Yeah. 
because there's a there's a decision at the beginning that you choose to have Doctor. I didn't write her name down in front of me. Mahes Warren. Yes, thank you. You can choose to have her stay with the patients or have her come with you. And if she comes with you, she has an ability that lets you like free evade the orderlies. Yeah, the regular orderlies. Yeah, the regular ones. They prevent you from investigating when they're engaged with you. You can't kill them. They're kind of annoying. So he's not good at evading stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I chose. To, I wanted. I wanted her to protect. I wanted her to protect her friends. So I did not have the doctor, and it was uh, that was a struggle. But if you have the doctor, it might be fine. But I remember them. Those are. I like the orderlies because they like, kind of do a unique thing where you can't kill them initially because they're just regular guys, and then all of a sudden they turn into spider monsters, uh, kind of like halfway through. That are really hard to kill. Yeah. On infested spots. So I don't know. I thought the orderlies were cool. Yeah, they were. They were a cool part. But yeah, I thought it was an interesting start to this campaign. And then uh, once we escape from the hospital uh, with Randolph in tow, he tells us that uh, we have to go hang out, try to get into the dream world, uh, but not by going to sleep. Uh, So instead, he says he needs to figure out how he can get back there and then he can lead us there. But he hasn't been there in a long time because he's like an old, old adult now and he doesn't has no whimsy about him anymore. It's not Peter Pan anymore. Yeah, so he remembers the last place he had whimsy was in The Enable, which is either a house or something inside the house, or maybe not those things. It's very unclear. You can't describe it. But he says that was the place, last place he had whimsy. So we're like, all right, sure, that seems fine. And we head off to uh, The Enable, which is a, a house somewhere in Arkham. I think maybe on the way over there, a cat pops out and talks to us, and we have an opportunity to, if you're doing it as an interwoven campaign, either have the cat help you or go away. And he, he gives, usually gives you some subtle hints about what's going on with the other team or not. Yeah, once you arrive at the enable, uh, it's kind of like a big house. You just start off by kind of exploring it. It's got like some like weird stuff in it. Like a, it's got like a weird mirror or like a strange pottery or something. I don't remember. There's like th- three or four different like weird <laughs> stuff in the house that like if you investigate it, it helps you with uh, a boss that will pop, come up, pops out halfway through. But you're just trying to explore the house and like get clues and find weird stuff. And uh, eventually the enable comes out, which is this big, undescribable monster. Initially, initially he's just kind of like aloof, and he just kind of like follows you around. But you have to make a will test uh, if you, you start at the same location as it, uh, which can be bad for certain people that are bad at will tests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the stuff that you find in the house can weaken that monster. And then you also need to find uh, the silver key, as well as like the entrance to the tomb. And you do this all by like spending clues by like, fast triggers in different locations. So it's kind of like you're exploring this weird house, and then eventually you find out, oh, there's a secret tomb that we can sneak into. And once you go in there, uh, you find a staircase that goes endlessly downward, far on and on forever. Uh, and the big giant unable monster follows with you. You have to try to go down the stairs, and like each, each stairs location that you go down has some mechanic that prevents you from continuing downward. Unless you satisfy something, like it might be simple to like, get all the clues from here before you can move, or it might be like there can't be an enemy, a ready enemy here, different things like that. Uh, but your goal is just basically run down the stairs as fast as you can once you get to that point, because there's no victory in any of those staircases, so why would you why would you dawdle around for any reason uh, while the big giant unable is chasing you? Because the uh, thing with the unable is you can't kill it, so you have to evade it, and if you can't evade it, you're in, you're in big trouble. It is a house. Yeah. Is it? And that, uh, the staircase mechanic of, like, running down the stairs, wasn't that similar to the first scenario on the dream side had like a similar thing or am i thinking of something well, else in that sort of but in the dream side it's like a, a lackadaisical stroll down the staircase like there's no encounter deck <laughs> yeah you're not being chased by a giant there's monster. nothing scary you're just kind of casually tossing away your your hand of cards so i mean this this kind of mirrors that in that like your descent your journey into the dreamlands in the waking world campaign 
is uh, much more stress- stressful and, and dangerous than your friends who just kind of like went down a staircase and was chill. Yeah. And talked to some priests or whatever. <laughs> and talked to some old dudes. So, yeah, that's a good point. There's some cool symmetry there, Dan. So, what thoughts did you guys have on this? I just wish they told us what the name of the darn thing was. It's so confusing. <laughs> I thought it was a cool transition. Um, like I said, I really like the spooky hospital. And then Randolph is like, we're going to the spookiest house in Arkham. And we're like, with the witch house? And he's like, no, 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 sorry. The second spookiest house in Arkham. You guys already went to the witch house. (laughs) So we go to this huge empty house and we're like, what's going on here? And we're like finding these weird, like, it's like the completionist compulsion. Oh, you mean Ben syndrome? And that's why I would liken this more to the asylum in in Carcosa, where where you're like, oh, look at this pile of bones. Well, we have to spend clues to get this pile of bones. And you're like, we're going to get this pile of bones. And then, you know, you go inside the house and there's more stuff like that. So those are those are some of my favorite campaigns, like like the aforementioned um, Unspeakable Oath. I really like when you do things that don't necessarily have a purpose as of that moment. And then later on, they come into play. So like when the boss spawned, it reduced his, uh, his combat and evade values and things like that. Felt really cool to explore this creepy derelict house, uh, seemingly derelict house, and then have the literal house. I think it's the house, right? Or it's like this big abomination thing in the house that's also happening. It's unclear. If you think too hard about it, Dane, your mind explodes. Yeah, all right. Let's, let's, let's not do <laughs> yeah, that. be careful. We, we have more podcasts to, to, to come at you with. There was one other fun thing I forgot about this. This is the one where there's a location that's like anytime a ghoul spawns or would, would spawn anywhere else, spawn it here. Oh, yeah. It's like at the bottom. And like, oh, so yeah. If you take enough turns in the house, you end up with like four or five ghouls just hanging out there that you have to either fight through or, you know, throw dynamite on and explode. Or dynamite. <laughs> yes. So yeah. while we were going there, that's all I was thinking about. I'm like, oh, this is the place that we dynamite. Great. I'm glad that somebody has dynamite <laughs> in my group. And then I started thinking about like, well, why, why is this a mechanic? Um, I thought it was really cool. At first I was just like, okay, we're in a graveyard. So the ghouls are romping around the graveyard. That makes sense. And they're not allowed in the house. But now the more I think about it, they don't want to go in the house because it's this huge spooky house with this unnameable thing. And they know it's in there, but you don't. Oh yeah. They're just having a ghoul party. Yeah. So they're just hanging outside. They're like, all right, bye. Go in the house. (laughs) And then, and then you dynamite them and leave. So, you know, (laughs) their plan didn't just stay in one area outside the house. Didn't work that that great. Ain't that a shame. Dan, did you have anything else you want to add? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. The, this one, uh, I, I think it was cool. Like I said, I kind of like the symmetry of like going down the stairs and having sort of roughly the same mechanic for that as in the original scenario on the dream side. Um, I like dynamiting the ghouls. Those are really the only two things that kind of stand out to me about this one. So, I mean, one thing that we, we should at least mention was that um, – the version of the thing that we played at uh, Arkham Knights last year, so we played this thing called the Keeper's Nightmare, um, was, I think, based heavily off of this, or it was heavily based off of this. And if you haven't listened and you don't know what we're talking about, check out our episode that where we kind of cover what we did at um, at Arkham Knights last year, because very similar staircase, all the mechanics, um, one of the encounter cards was horrifyingly brutal here. Yeah. This had some deja vu just for us, but I mean, I think that whole Keeper's Nightmare thing was Matt just like took some sets of cards for different scenarios and like smashed them together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And made them scary. Yeah. So this yeah. was the one that we happened to to play because he had like four or five different versions of that or something. Um, but uh, yeah, one of the kind of memorable cards that gets added to the encounter deck is the Endless Descent. When you draw, it makes you, all your investigators like move up one space and you take the top card and shuffle it back into the bottom set of cards. So it basically adds a new location and slows you down 
So it's kind of like, and there's like four four of them in the encounter deck or something. Yeah. So it's like something like you that. try to rush down the stairs as fast as you can because if you dawdle too long, you'll you'll lose one more turns. Right. So it kind of helps encourage that, which is kind of cool. And then the enable monster himself, I thought was kind of a a fun like it's a big unkillable monster that's like looming there, and like you can kind of ignore it to start, and then it gets scary and scary, and then by the end you have to like evade it and run away or you get murdered. I think he was just really excited to have guests, and then when you left his house, he was very upset about that. <laughs> I think I think we can all we can all relate to that. I think. <laughs> yeah, perhaps we've all been the enableable at some point. Yeah. So yeah, so that was a thousand shapes of horror. After we escape down the staircase, we've reached the point of no return, which is the third scenario, where Randolph has led us into the underground or the underworld, which is different than whatever snake zone we were in in Forgotten Age. Um, but it is like a giant underworld, underground labyrinth. But we're hanging out in, uh, I think we start in a Gug City, or either between a Gug City and like a Ghoul City. Yeah. And the Ghouls and the Gugs don't get along, uh-uh. they, but they still sort of like live in the same area, you know? And he says that he has to find his friend, Richard. And we're like, oh, that's, this is a weird place to, for, <laughs> for a guy to live. And he's like, oh yeah, well, he's a ghoul. So, you know, but he's, he's a chill ghoul. And we're like, he's uh, the coolest ghoul of all. And we're like, all right. Which is definitely a callback to the Dream Quests. Yeah. No, the he, Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. He's a character from, from that, I believe. Yeah. Or maybe he's from one of the other short stories about the Dreamlands. Yeah, so we got to find this ghoul. And then once we find him, we kind of go, go deeper and deeper into the underworld dealing with tiny tunnels and eventually a giant sea of pitch. And then we uh, escape from there to to go even deeper. So this whole scenario, it's about going deeper and deeper into the other world. Stuff gets scarier and scarier the, the further in depth you get. The, it also has like a weird thing where you can kind of go up instead. You can explore the Gug Zone instead. And if you do that, you can like, you have to fight like a giant, a giant Gug and like climb up, to find a tower you can climb up and you can kind of like find a little secret area where it's like, oh, hey, this is the actual Dreamlands, the place we chill and relaxing and not a horrible, terrible nightmare. <laughs> and, then, and then you have to leave it behind. So, this is what they got? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah I guess exactly. we'll come back later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get like a little bit of victory for that and you add something to your campaign log that affects, confects the final resolution actually of, of the whole campaign. So if you have the time, you can go and explore that. But you don't need to, because you just need... You don't need to do it, because you only need a certain number of clues to be able to, like, advance down deeper. And once you go deeper, Richard Upton Pickman is a ghoul that has a hat and a tie. Um, very cool. Is, very dapper. Which is amazing. But he has, like, an ability that lets him, like, suck up other ghouls to yeah. let them punch harder. Yeah. He eats them. Right? He, like, emerges with them or consumes them. No, he gathers them. He He's a very charismatic ghoul. They they realize, they see his dominance when they see his little hat and his little tie. And they're, he's oh. like, hey, come follow me. We got to murder the, the, the gugs. And it's like, okay. It's like it's like Pony Boy and the Greasers versus the Socias, which were, like, over in uh, Gugtown. So I, I like the idea of him gathering a gang of ghouls. That interpretation makes way more sense than what I thought. <laughs> How do you, like... <laughs> <laughs> they like, killed them and gained their power or something, but no, no he's like a he's like the leader. Yeah, uh, I mean, so again, I think if you read if you read the Dream Quest, I think a lot of it is like you know this one ghoul, it's a friend or the the main character does, and so like th- he kind of intercedes on your behalf with all the other ghouls and like rounds up a posse of ghouls to yeah. like, help you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, all right, that's great. I love that. I was really <laughs> glad it, when when you come down there, it's not like, hey, uh, I heard a huge explosion upstairs when you when, before you guys came down. Uh, what what was that? Oh, definitely not, not dynamite. That just blew up like all half of your friends and some of your family. You know, don't worry about that. Uh, he's like, oh, okay, well, that's good because then I would have had to kill you. But but let's let's stroll across the underworld. I'll show you the way. Kind of a thing, you know. Yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, w- once you find him, I think you add some encounter cards to deck and you're trying to explore in the underworld zone. Um, and the main encounter card that gets added at this point, I believe, is the uh, the dole. The D-hole. The big D-hole. Oh, the D-hole, as I always call it. Yeah. I forget how to <laughs> say it correctly. Uh, which is like a, it's a big monster that like moves around and it has a scenario card that goes with it. The uh, dole tunnel. The D-hole tunnel. <laughs> uh, which lets it move around the map faster. And also, every time you draw the Dole Tunnel, it will respawn him, even if you've killed him and he has victory on him. Yeah, very annoying. He reminded me a little bit of um, Carcosa's first scenario, the boss that like, keeps respawning there, and you want to try to, like, part of the sub-challenge is, like, try to kill him just before you win, so you can get the victory. Mm. If you get lucky, you might draw all three of the uh, tunnels, uh, and then you can just kill him and not worry about it anymore. Because once all three are drawn, he doesn't spawn And get anymore. the victory! Yeah. yeah. And then you get that sweet, sweet victory. So I think there's a couple of trap cards in this one, isn't there? Like so, like a card that you flip over and like it spawns monsters or something. Yeah, yep. yep isn't yep. there like a very hard test you have to do? Probably. Like Agility 5 or something and it spawns ghouls on you? Based off of the veil thing, right? Yeah, like, the veil so, mechanic. Yeah, so you flip over some of the, the locations and some of them are actually like, haha, surprise, you know, horrible things attack you. And then there was one that was like, you have to climb up this huge mountain and you have to do this like Agility 7 test. And then it's like, some good stuff happens, but also Nightgaunt, like, sees you, and, like, but you also put clues on it, so ultimately it's yeah, okay, the, but... the peaks of, of Thok or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah this, this scenario had a couple different mechanics going on with it that all kind of worked together. It had the, veil, had the veiled uh, mechanic, which we've seen a couple of times before, which is, like, there's a story side on the other side of the location. Once you get all the clues, you flip it over, and there's some story stuff. It also had clues on enemies, where you kill the enemy, you get the clues off of them. Some enemies would spawn with clues on them. And it also had damage on the scenario card, which that racked up as every time you advanced the second agenda. And you could also start with some on it, depending on uh, how well you did in the previous scenarios. Yeah, I forgot about that. So it had, had like kind of a mixed bag of mechanics. And then it also had the ghouls and the gugs like don't get along. I think like uh, the ghast enemies or something, it, uh, if there's a ghoul in a location, they take a damage when they spawn or something like that. I think gugs couldn't go into the ghoul zone or vice versa. <laughs> so it had a lot going on. Yeah, it did. But the whole point of it, though, is like once we once we befriended our Richard Upton and we find a very tiny tunnel, we crawl through it and we find the Sea of Pitch, which is this big black sea that has like four different locations on it. And you have to go and uh, get clues from those locations and try to flip them over. And only one of them is the correct one that will actually end the scenario. The other ones like spawn spiders or um, I think one of them lets you peek at a different one and uh, the fourth one does something else bad. So it's kind of like... You might be able to end really quickly if you get lucky, or you might be stuck there for a little while trying to find the correct sea of pitch. And the correct sea of pitch is uh, the one that you can jump into. <laughs> and maybe not Which is something it's... that the story tells you you want to do, although you definitely yep. don't want to do it. Yeah, it's very clear that like as you're doing it, like, oh, you regret doing it. Even but... Richard Pickman's like, ew, why are you doing that? You know, he doesn't come with us. He's like, no, that'll get my hat dirty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go be cool over here. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I think that's the gist of the scenario. Like, just kind of like moving underground. It kind of has like three phases to it, where you're like in the mostly gug area, and then you're like underground past the ghoul city, and then you're in the sea of pitch zone. So it's definitely like distinct and like, oh, we're in this phase of the scenario. Yeah, yeah. you can still backtrack to get victory or whatever if you want. Yeah, yeah. Did, any any thoughts? Either you guys? I think that this was probably my favorite of the uh, of the places, literally because of Richard Upton Pinkman. I had a very distinct image in my head. If anybody's ever played Half Life Two. The main character in that is his name is Gordon Freeman, and he has this effect where all these people are just like, "Oh, Gordon Freeman! Oh, let's follow him! Oh, Gordon Freeman! Let's follow him!" So I just had this idea of this of this pick up that can this ghoul, <laughs> yeah, this ghoul who was like 
he was just walking around and everybody would be like, oh, hey, let's gather behind Mr. Pickman. And and then they'd, you know, you just have this ghoul ball eventually that would just steamroll over all the other monsters for you. So very fun flavorfully, I think. And I think that the underworld was vast enough and there were a lot of like brutal effects on each of the, some of the encounter cards. There were like brutal effects on some of the locations uh, that would like draw you additional counter cards if you stayed there. So you really had to kind of like keep moving. That really conveyed like how how gross and like malign it was there. I thought it was thematically pretty cool. I have a, a small comment on this scenario from uh, Matt Newman. Uh, so he did kind of like a Twitter thread recently where he answered some questions that people had about this campaign. And uh, so somebody asked. Uh, so John Rooster asked. Uh, a question from the fine folks over at the Mythos Busters Discord. Will you consider a name change for Return to the Point of No Return when the time comes to return to the Dream Eaters? <laughs> uh, and uh, Matt replied, yo, why do you all think we named it uh, Point of No Return? So that's an interesting little cryptic uh, response. <laughs> maybe maybe that means there won't be a Return to the Dream Eaters? I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it's we'll get paths three and four. <laughs> <laughs> that could be that could be true. I I honestly think I think he might have just been joking that like they intentionally thought that that would be funny when they were picking the name. So yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll, sure, we'll, we'll sure. stay tuned and we'll yeah, we'll see what happens. So yeah, I thought this one was thematically cool. I don't know if the mechanics were as strong for me. It goes all kind of a mixed bag, but you know, I enjoyed it. Yeah. So. I think the damage tokens I honestly completely forgot they were there at m- most of the time. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's The damage thing. tokens are like very irrelevant if you start with 0 Yeah, you, yeah. You have so much time, but they're super relevant if you start with like three or three <laughs> from doing bad. Yeah. Uh, in like the first scenario, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Zoe. <laughs> I, did. I I did solo. I did really bad. I got to read all the story text for failing every scenario, <laughs> which I uh, hopefully don't get to read. Way to go, Ben. Yeah, very bad. You know, to, I guess I have to play a rogue or survivor. I guess <laughs> solo. <laughs> but yeah. So uh, once we once we got to the end of this point of return, we jump into the sea of pitch, and it, that's why we can't go back because we sink into the muck. Gross. And then we fall out of the muck onto a, a giant spider web. As you do. Yeah, as you do. So the final scenario is Weaver of the Cosmos. The gist of it is you're on a giant spider web. It's a giant bridge that a giant spider is trying to uh, create to merge the dreamlands and the waking world together, so it can take over and be a spider everywhere. I don't actually. I don't know if it cares about taking over. I think it just wants to merge them so it can be. A Are spider. we? Do we think this is like a smart spider? Like, would this plan have worked if we didn't stop I it? Think it's like a mindless spider that's one purpose is to make this web and destroy the realities because it wants to make a web. Okay, fair, fair enough. Oh man, so it's like kind of like Azathoth two point but not really. It's like Azathoth's baby brother. I mean. A lot of the old gods like don't actually give a fuck about us, right? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing their own thing. Uh, this guy's job was to make a big web, and that just happens to pull two realities together, destroying them or whatever. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think so. Matt actually, I believe, made made like a comment on that, like you know, post epilogue. There's like a little like, thank you for playing Dream Eaters, blah 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 blah. He talked a lot about that actually, like how like well, Adelashancha was actually specific in that they, or no, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about a. Uh, Narlathotep, aka Gnarly P. He likes to meddle in people's affairs and yeah. like, sinister and annoying. Yeah, I was going to touch on that. Narlathotep, he's kind of like a background character that he's like, he's really smart and he actually does interact with us. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. The spider god here doesn't care about us at all. It's just making a web. That's his job. So it's a, it's a contrast there between the two different bosses. Uh, but anyway, for this, we start on the web, uh, a web bridge and we have to like, kind of cross the web bridge. The, a big mechanic in this scenario is like doom spawns on locations and it doesn't go away, but you have a, a pretty high doom threshold that scales with the number of players. 
based on our experience playing it, I would say an extremely high Doom threshold. Yeah. Well, it, it's a big difference. It depends how well you did on earlier scenarios. If you did very well in the first three and you don't have too many, I think steps on the bridge is the, the counting mechanic, yeah. uh, then you'd start with very little Doom in play. But if you have a lot of those because you didn't clear all the infestations or you didn't get all the way down the stairs in the South Engine Horror, etc., then you start with a lot of Doom on the bottom location in this, uh, and that Doom never gets cleared, so it kind of like costs you like 12 turns, effectively. I think for us, we had done pretty well on the preceding scenarios, so it, was, it felt similar to where Doom awaits, where the Doom just kind of waits and waits and waits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it is a mechanic you need to be aware of, because if you do a good job of controlling that Doom, then it's not bad, but if you ignore it for a turn or two, it can get out of hand pretty quick. Yeah. Um, but once you cross the bridge... Like each location you reveal, there's usually some mechanic that adds doom either to a test or it just drops it or whatever. Once you get to the bottom of the or across the bridge, which is represented by the bottommost location, you do an interlude. An inter- interlude in the middle of a scenario? Yeah, it's never been done before, except the last one. And in this one, the twist is Randolph is actually Narlothotep and betrays you. Gasp. No. <laughs> so- uh, which which was the twist the last one and this this actually did get me because I just assumed that Randolph was actually Randolph for this one because he wouldn't <laughs> uh, I was like oh yeah he would they wouldn't have him betray us twice right yeah yeah so I guess I guess Matt Edmund got me in that I, <laughs> it was unexpected for me for that to be the expected resolution but zing yeah so he like stabs you in the back or he push he cuts the ladder you're trying to climb uh, unless unless you befriended the cat. Uh, in a certain way, uh, then the cat will pop out and be like, "Meow." Yeah, you're not Randolph. That's exactly what happened. You're like, it's exactly that's the, that's all the story text. Yep. But he betrays you, and then he's like, "Oh, uh, I have you need to do this task for me, or you'll die." <laughs> yeah. He's, he's basically like, listen, goes <laughs> go murder that huge <laughs> yeah. spider god, and then your world will be safe. And you're like, really? And he's like, no, actually, I'm just gonna murder everything in your world. But go kill that yeah, thing anyway. Like, and you're like, okay. And then he he takes he pieces out. And then you enter the second phase of this, which is like a, it felt like to me, the goal was like a video game style boss fight where yeah. you put this, you make a ring of locations, very similar to like carnival where there's a ring. And then the, in the center, you have the spider boss and all of his legs and his legs are at uh, like every other location he's positioned. So it's like, oh, uh, he's got four legs and there's eight locations. And then his mechanic is at the beginning of every Mythos phase, uh, you draw a token, and the negative modifier on that token determines how he spins. And so what happens is you, you pick up his, his core card and his four leg cards, and you rotate them you know, one-eighth of a, a circle, math, 45 degrees, and that changes for each negative modifier. So if you get like a minus three, you turn him three times, and that changes the position of all of his legs. Yeah. Q, dead or alive, you spin me right round, right round. So, uh, because we're all in quarantine, we mostly, you know, uh, used online tools to play this. So it was very easy to spin around. Uh, I haven't actually played it with physical cards yet, although I have <laughs> ordered them. <laughs> I kind of want to, like, tape them together so that, you know, you, know, yeah. you, you don't have I to, I assume like... what you're supposed to do is get, like, the like the giant minis that Ben has for D&D. I assume <laughs> you're supposed to get, like, a giant spider mini that has, like, four slots oh, for the cards to go or something. I do, and, like, I do have some giant spider minis. It's a good idea. Yeah. But yeah, so it's kind of a cool mechanic where he spins around, and the idea is you need to figure out, uh, like, you want to, like, murder each leg one at a time, but if you, like, don't kill it in one turn, there's a risk of it, like, moving halfway around the board. Yeah. Uh, and you can kill it by attacking it, 
or you can spend clues to do damage to it. And spending clues to do damage to it is like very efficient. It's like three damage for one clue. Super efficient, yeah. And I think the health the health of all the legs is like based on the number of investigators. So if you have three investigators, it has like nine health or something. It's pretty modest though, right? Like compared to a lot of other bosses. Yeah, it's not that much, especially when you can everybody can contribute damage pretty easily with cl- either clues or if they're dealing damage normally. Yeah, and it doesn't. Hit, it, they don't. The legs don't hit that hard, so it's not too bad. Something that slows you down is there's a lot of cards in the encounter deck that will like restrict your movement, um, or maybe make you lose actions or not be able to fight for a turn. So you have to be able to pass will tests or pass agility tests or uh, have cancels or effects to deal with that. Yeah. So that phase is it's interesting because you have to try to run around the board. There's also some risks from moving around the board because the revealing locations might spawn more doom. There's a couple locations that let you like teleport across the board. It's slingshot. It's kind of fun on the web. Yeah. Yeah. Boing. Yeah, so it's a lot of, like, uh, trying to move, figure out how to move around and, like, snipe the legs when you have a good opportunity, which is kind of cool. Or you could do like Dan did. What? Walk over to it, have 12 actions on Tony, and punch it slowly to death. <laughs> punch it slowly to death, and then end up strangling a leg with, with Garota. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was great. <laughs> Finishing it off the Garota. No, for real, it is a, I feel like it is a little bit disappointing that they have little enough health that you can probably kill one in one turn. Yeah. If you have, like, a good character. So it's it's almost makes it, like, kind of easy. You don't really have to chase them around as much. But I guess that's fine. It'd be too annoying otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the experience that I had with it was most of the time I would just move to one and kill it. Like it was... In the same maybe turn, once, yeah. Maybe once one moved away. Um, and that was just because we, like, did a little bit of damage to it passively and weren't trying to focus at that turn or something. Yeah. 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 I think, like, with the number of chaos tokens that's added... So I guess the spin mechanic is based off of if you draw negative modifiers then it moves that amount, you know, like, it, it spins that amount. But I think the issue is that less than half of the bag is negative modifiers at that point, right? Because you, you had so many, like, squids and skulls and, and stuff I mean, like that, so it, like, kind of evens. The squids and skulls have have negative modifiers. It's the... But, like, I think cultists don't. I think cultists don't have a modifier on them because they're a reveal and a token. Oh, sure, and, sure. But you'll have a lot of zeros and elder signs still. Like, there's still, like, a... At least a third chance it doesn't move, I think. Even on, on both standard and hard. Yeah. I feel like across two playthroughs, though, that it really just moved maybe, like, four times in total during the whole thing. It's definitely very luck-based, I think. Because yeah. you could draw, like, the minus three or minus four every time, or and it'll move halfway around the board. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I think really my main takeaway from this, I, I mentioned earlier, but it, it's partly because of how we had done the scenarios preceding this. We'd gotten kind of lucky and done pretty well. Maybe it was just the way that things shook out and the the luck that we had, but it just it it was a little bit disappointingly easy for like a last scenario in kind of a storyline, just because the doom was never really a threat, and we killed the spider legs and the spider pretty fast. And that's just a little bit disappointing compared to some of the previous like climactic scenarios we've seen, where it's like a, it feels like a real challenge, and it does a good job of making you feel like you're really under the gun. Yeah. So I was gonna mention that when Ben mentioned about how Narlathotep was in comparison to Atlachnacha. Atlachnacha is meant to be like a big raid boss where you're running around and you're trying to, you have to kill the legs first and then you get to the main body. But there's no element of, and for anybody who hasn't played the blob, the blob feels like a raid boss because there's that moment of vulnerability where you murder the heart and then he comes back and he's big and invulnerable again. That I feel like is very different from just murder the legs pretty efficiently, anyways, and then and then and then murder him. I feel like Narlathotep was a very interesting way to handle an elder uh, one, whereas a raid boss is a good way to do it. But I feel like I was very amped up about how they handled Narlathotep. 
So I had a lot of different expectations that we're going into. I'm not sure that might show me that it's different from a lot of other things, but it really just kind of came down to like a lot of doom spamming and a lot of things that slow you down, like webbing that might make you only move one location every turn, which is kind of difficult if it's spinning a lot. But really, it all ended up just kind of not being that impactful. And the doom was like manageable enough. Thresholds were high enough to where it it didn't really impact in in a huge way. The final phase where he turns into just uh, a regular big boss that moves around. If you don't like kill him right away, he can even then you like draw minus four or whatever. You doom can rack up pretty fast, especially in lower player counts. I think his mechanic is he'll, he'll drop a doom every time he leaves location, or he'll attack the investigators there. So in like solo or two player, if you draw like a minus four or whatever, he'll run away and probably drop like three or four doom, and then he's on the other side of the board, so maybe you can't get to him very fast. So I think it can spiral out of control pretty quick if you don't just immediately burst him down as soon as he spawns. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and I could see like having mobility stuff kind of like Carnival, having mobility stuff like Open Gate or Pathfinder or like Tony taking extra actions are are all very helpful for this because you can chase him around. So maybe if you don't have any of that stuff, maybe it would be a lot harder. Oh, yeah. Open Gate. <laughs> Again, just Open Gate, just breaking this. Although we we didn't have open gate the second time we did it, and it still seemed yeah, pretty. We had pathfinders though and safeguard and stuff, so we still lost yeah. mobility. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't mention it, but uh, open gate like the first play through the blind playthrough of this whole campaign, I played Luke, uh, put open gate on the map for all these scenarios, and it made it very easy for everyone. We <laughs> yeah, it it made a huge difference. I think in basically all these scenarios. Yeah, Luke open gate is so strong on so much stuff, but yeah, that's beside the point. So, but, you know, just finishing up the Weaver of the Cosmos discussion before we kind of jump into, like, maybe a little more story in the overall campaign. Yeah, actually, maybe we talked about everything. We talked about the Sweater Boss already. Yeah. Was there any encounter cards that, like, individually stuck out to me? I guess the ones that do stick out are the, are the legs. And mostly, I think the boss is supposed to be the most interesting thing, right? Because never yeah. before has there been a boss that's composed of five yeah. different things. Oh, wait, Neurolithotep, if you get the cool ending. But anyway, if you have Atlasnacha... One of the other issues that I guess we didn't really confront was that the strength of each leg is based off of the shroud value. So if it's like a five or something, it's it's really hard to hit. And I feel like if it were just a like a three plus the shroud, it would make it much harder to, to hit it. But there would just be times where it was just one or two shroud and you'd just be able to just rail on it, even just with a regular gun, like with, with Tony just punching it or something. Yeah, like the the strength was never higher than like four. Yeah, and there five. are ways to circumvent it too. Like like skeleton key gets its its greatest buff. Uh, bring yeah. bring a skeleton key, you guys. Yeah, there's some stuff that can weaken it, but I mean, for high shroud locations, you if you know ahead of time, you can also be like, oh, we'll just find the clues to kill it if it's there. Yeah, exactly. Versus yeah. like fighting it. Yeah, that's true. It just it was just very easy to deal damage to it. I thought, and in a way, and there wasn't too much damage incoming. Right. Yeah. Uh, at right. least when we played in three player. Even when I played it in solo on my fail through the scenario with Zoe, heroically stabbing stuff with her hungering blade the whole time, I actually almost barely lost on this boss fight, even though I started with like five doom in play. <laughs> so I lost like 15 turns. Oh god. I, I, I got to the final boss fight and it was like, the difference was like, oh, if I don't draw like a minus four or minus three or, or worse, then he won't spawn enough doom and I'll just move on to him and do four damage and kill him. But yeah. I, I, drew, I drew a minus four and he spawned four doom. Uh, <laughs> so also, very anatomically incorrect to only have four legs on a spider, which historically have eight legs. Uh, well, I mean, I, 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 they're each one's like the legs of, and I think it has two legs on it, so it's it actually has eight legs. Okay, okay, okay. I think 
I think on the art. I don't know. I like that the art all like like the art is designed so like I think all four cards are the same, but when they fit together, it like actually looks like it all works together. Yeah. Well, two of them are upside down. The framing yeah. is actually upside down. But the way that the art is designed, it doesn't matter. It's not like oh, this is like A has to go here. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Has to go here. You can just put it wherever. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so that that's the week of the cosmos. So if you are able to beat the spider boss, then you you know you save the stop the world from merging. You destroy this creature's life work, and you're you're very satisfied by that. Yeah. And then um, if you found a way out of the underworld in scenario three, you climb to safety. If you don't, uh, I think you're trapped in the tra- trapped in spider realm forever and go insane or something. Sounds bad. But you still technically win, <laughs> so it's fine. So what else do we want to talk about today? So in terms of like the way that the two campaigns actually interacted, the kind of the thread that connects them is really like the black cat, right? Which kind of hops back and forth and can like make kind of connections between the two halves. Is that how it works? Yeah. So at each interlude, you have like an opportunity to like send the black cat to go help the other team, uh, keep the black cat to help you or like tell it to go off on its own and do its own investigation. There's also like a, a screw you to the black cat uh, path, which I haven't looked at yet. So I'm not sure how that one plays out. But uh, generally, if like you pick him to help either your side or the other side, he'll add a useful token to the chaos bag. It's a token that like f- will give you some benefit when you draw it instead of a penalty to the team that helps. But to the team that he doesn't help, he'll uh, you'll add like a bad chaos token. Yeah, yeah. The squid that makes it worse or something. I don't remember which is which, but... So this is like the first time where symbol is good right in in the history of the game where the black cat actually Mm -hmm. makes one of the symbols positive for you i think there's a couple scenarios where it might be positive isn't um aside from the elder sign right well yeah no but i mean the spooky tokens the the squid or tablet or whatever yeah i mean i think isn't like uh in the casino uh the house always wins isn't like the cultists like give you money or something but it's a minus two but if if you win you still you get two money but yeah you're right this is like one where it's like oh it's basically purely good it's like a plus zero or better and gives you some benefit i think if you succeed yeah right so that's kind of neat um if he doesn't help if you choose to have him not help you that's how you unlock the uh the bonus act in campaign a if you choose not to have the cat help either side then he'll go off on his own or it'll go off on its own and investigate and then he figures out that randolph is actually Tep, and then he'll reveal that in both campaigns and that'll give you some benefit at the end so spoilers for Forgotten Age, that's very similar to the way that it works with Ichitaka and Alejandro, right? Where you, you basically tell them both to piss off and then you get the true ending? Sort of. But, uh, I mean, Forgotten Age, yeah, it gives you the true ending, but it also, like, definitely makes all the scenarios harder to do Extremely that Extremely hard, yeah. Well, this one just, like, <laughs> doesn't make one harder and one easier. It just makes them kind of in the middle. Sure, sure. So I think it's not as dramatic as that, but there is a similar thread of like, oh, there's a secret ending for one of the campaigns if you do this path. It's also definitely not as straightforward because who doesn't love cats? Obviously, I guarantee 100% of people chose to befriend the cats the first time they played this game. I mean, you do you befriend the cats. So that's that's like a slightly different decision than the black cat. He doesn't really care if you hang out with the cat tribe or the zoos oh, or not. Yeah, you know, that's actually a really good point. Yeah, it's kind of a different Something thing. that I wanted to bring up that was, that was an interesting parallel. I'm wondering if this is absolutely what was on Matt Newman's mind was Coraline. If you haven't seen or read Coraline, there is a uh, a real world, which is this this girl who becomes disenchanted with the real world. Mom and dad are very busy with things. She jumps into the the other world, which is an exact mirror of her world, but it's run by this creepy entity, which is eventually turns into a spider. And there's a whole bunch of webs, and there's a black cat 
in in it that jumps between both worlds and talks in the dreamlands or talks in the other world but not in the real world so i'm wondering if that was on matt's mind while he was developing this whole thing Matt also discussed in that same Twitter thread, uh, when people were asking about it, that he intentionally left the kind of identity of the black cat ambiguous, but that he thinks if you really pay attention, there is one character from the mythos that is strongly associated with the black cat. So I, I don't know what that is, but it'd be interesting to hear what people think. Matt always implies that there's some deeper secret within the story text of the campaign, and that you can only solve if you like play the campaign like 20 times. Isn't well, I feel like people usually eventually kind of find that to be the case if they play it enough. Maybe they're just going nuts. We'll see. There's sometimes some hidden like Easter eggs in there, but I don't know. I'm sure there's something, there's some key to he's friends with Virgil. I don't know, but uh, yeah. And the other thing with the interweaving campaigns is uh, there's an epilogue. So if you do if you do the campaigns individually, you either win or lose the end of them. But if you are doing it as an eight part campaign, it's like instead of, it says, Oh, go to the epilogue instead. And in the epilogue, there's like a matrix of like, depending what decision you made in campaign A and what decision you had in campaign B or what resolution you had, uh, you get like a slightly different ending. Like if you failed both campaigns, you get like, uh, you know, the two entities fight for control over the earth, which is completely destroyed. Oh no, that's a whole lot of different possible endings for Ben to try to eventually get, uh, to get the non-existent achievement. Well, I've gotten, uh, I've gotten three of them so far. Out of how many? Uh, out of sixteen. So um, <laughs> three for sixteen. You got a long way to go, and buddy. Some, six, six of them, I think, or five or six of them. You have to at least lose at least one of the campaigns. <laughs> uh, but don't worry, I got the one where you lose both of them in my failed attempt at playing solo. <laughs> so I got the one where you lose one of them. But there's yeah, there's one like if you win both, or there's one if you win both, but you've made certain decisions like. Uh, you can choose to remain asleep in the waking world cam- or in the dream campaign, and then you, oh, you know, well, your friends never wake up, or you didn't find the way out of the Weaver Zone. And they're like, oh, well, your friends never, you never find your friends again. Once you wake up, you're just in the hospital alone. And you're like, oh, they didn't even send flowers. I see. <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't. I haven't read them all. I only. I strictly only read the ones that matter uh, if I can. But I do know. I did see at the very end of the epilogue. There's like a, a final thing that's not related to how you did. It's related to a decision about uh, if you killed any cats. Or not. They can't if you've broken the rule of Ulfar. Yeah, which is, that it's not the stray from the path, because that doesn't matter at all. Uh, if you broke the rule of Ulfar and killed a cat, there's a, there's some repercussions there in the epilogue. Very exciting. Everybody do it and see what happens. Yeah, so overall, uh, I thought the story for this game was pretty fun. I liked the the Randolphs hanging out in both, and the black cat doing stuff, and the nonsense with Zoogs, and, and ghouls with top hats. Or not top hats, you know, like a fedora. But yeah, you had a fedora and a little and a tie. There we go. <laughs> it's a dapper ghoul. So I thought the story was cool. I thought doing it as an interwoven campaign story wise, I think greatly enhanced the experience, at least for me. I agree. I agree. One hundred percent. I don't mechanically as I think we mentioned at the top, it didn't seem like it made as big of a impact to do the interwoven campaign. Uh it was mostly story focused, I think. There's a little little stuff, but uh it's mostly mostly more for the story experience. So Yeah. I think overall for me. I was a little bit sad that it didn't weave mechanically more together, like decisions that you made or, or the steps of the path that you have in this one didn't affect the other campaign or something like that. I was expecting more of that kind of play to happen rather than it all riding off of the one cat jumping from scenario to scenario and different like story texts that you read. But overall, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I, I, I enjoyed playing it. I definitely, I think I was a little bit disappointed by the Spider Zone side of it compared to the Dream side of it. I, I liked the Dream scenarios more. And I think uh, 
a couple of the scenarios in the waking world side, like the second and third ones in particular, they weren't bad. They were, they were fine Arkham scenarios, but I think there were things that if they were set in the context of a larger campaign, they might've, I might've kind of enjoyed them more. It was just tough to have sort of one half of the campaign feel like it had a couple of like, not dud scenarios, but just ones that weren't super memorable in it. So thinking back on the spider side of the scenario, I just, I don't really remember a whole lot of it. It just kind of flew by. I also, I think probably, I think we all liked where the gods dwell uh, a fair amount. And we all liked the fight with Nyarlathotep. I think we also all liked the second scenario on the dream side where you take the boat to all those different locations. To me, once we'd gotten through and played the entire campaign, I was a little bit bummed out seeing like, oh, there were all these cool locations in that that maybe each could have been their own scenario if we'd had like a full campaign that was kind of dream themed. And instead that was like all shoved into one scenario. And then the other half of it was like mostly spiders. So that was a little bit of a bummer for me. Um, I still liked a lot of things about it, but I, I think looking back, like it's unfair to compare this campaign against something that like doesn't exist, but I can't help but wondering like, what if they had just made like a traditional eight scenario campaign kind of about like the dream quest? I feel like I might've enjoyed that more, but I don't know. It's hard to say. It kind of felt like an amalgamation between a regular campaign and they did the labyrinths of lunacy where you have like three different groups. And then eventually at the end, it all like comes together. Yeah. It, it had a little bit of that flavor to it for sure. I like the idea of having the interwoven campaigns and also just having like shorter campaigns to play in general. Because sometimes you just want to do like three, four scenarios to, because I usually get, you know, once you're at like 25, 30 experience, you're probably at your max deck capacity for most builds. And sometimes maybe you just want to like do a campaign in a weekend or something. You don't want to try to cram eight scenarios in. So I think that's cool. And I also like the idea of like actually playing with two groups of people where one group is doing campaign A and one's doing campaign B. And you have to wait to find out like what decision, maybe you don't tell each other what you're doing. You just like let the black cat move between them. And, like you say, oh yeah, the black cat comes visits you and do this or something. I think that could be cool, like a cool fun thing to do. And maybe you try to use an actual cat as the messenger between groups and it just wanders off to go chase something. And Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, I did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do think like release cycle wise, it was a little awkward because it's like, oh, we have to wait two months between each or like five months. That was brutal. There's a pandemic yeah not because <laughs> but, it made like the campaigns worse in in them themselves but like i forgot like almost everything that we did in the last one i'd be like oh i haven't picked up this deck in like literally 60 days you know like <laughs> i just i just forgot what we did yeah that that to me also i agree with uh, pretty much everything that ben said i think that was like a big flaw but you know it, it's already kind of it feels like a big ask to wait a month between scenarios for like uh six months when you're doing a regular campaign but to have to like come back to a deck and figure trying to remember what was going on after two months or more was just really rough i i and like ben said i do like having in the repertoire kind of a couple of shorter campaigns if you don't have time for a full one and you want to like play arkham for a day or you want to like test out a new deck without doing a full eight scenario campaign that's cool it's just it was kind of a rough way to play this as it was being released. And I, I think this is just never going to feel like a kind of a full eight scenario, like unified experience. Like if you go back and play Carcosa or Circle Undone or something. Yeah. I mean, one of my runs, we did literally a side scenario between every single one uh, of the way while they were initially coming out. So we went from the spider scenario to the hotel Excelsior. Then we went from that to the blob, a uh, single person, you know, so we tried real hard <laughs> to get that eight that eight part uh, campaign in in both of them, but so if if we if we had to kind of like roughly approximately kind of rank this amongst the campaigns that have been released so far, where would it be for you guys? I think 
for me, it's like probably below Carcosa and Circle Undone, and like maybe kind of on par with like um, Dunwich, maybe or somewhere around there, like on average. Yeah, I think I like this probably like if I have to put it somewhere, Carcosa, The Forgotten Age, and Circle Undone being like some of my favorites. It's like definitely near Dunwich. Wait, you like you like The Forgotten Age now? I do, I do. How did that happen? <laughs> You you can't just like slip that in and expect us to not comment on it. This is a huge this is a hundred and eighty degree shift for you, Dan. I don't don't tell Dan I also kinda like the Forgotten Age. Okay, no, that's fine. I mean whatever. <laughs> Especially when I'm playing Calvin and uh can lean really hard into getting trauma. It grew on me. It sure grew on me. Listeners, I don't know what's going on. I think this is very, very much in the middle so lowish end maybe of, of my favorites, but it's definitely a very unique and cool experience to have. Um, so I think that that sets it apart from the other campaigns in, in a lot of different ways. I, I think I kind of disagree with you guys. I, campaign A, at least, I think is close to Kakosa for me. And I think, I think maybe more than the Circle Undone. I liked, I think, all four of those scenarios. And I, the, the main mechanic slash gimmick and all of them like really played well for me. And it definitely had the best final boss fight uh, in Nautotep. At least for multiplayer, because I know in solo it's uh like impossible. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I mostly agree with that. I would probably put it as like tied with like Return to Dim Carcosa, but I, I agree that that part yeah, was a highlight. That's fair. That's fair. And then campaign B, I think that was a little bit more of a whiff for me. Uh, like as Dan mentioned, like like the third scenario felt kind of generic. The second one was like kind of okay. Uh, I liked the first one, and then the fourth one like didn't really. It seemed like it would be really cool, but didn't land as much as I had hoped. So, like, Campaign B, I kind of rate a little bit lower as less interesting. It's I, I didn't hate any of the scenarios, uh, just, like, none of them were like, oh, I'm really excited to go back and play that one again as part of this campaign. So I guess I'd rate it, yeah. that one I'd rate kind of closer to Dunwich, which Dunwich is, like, mostly fine. You know, it was it's definitely good. Yeah. I don't hate it, but, uh, you know, it's just not, it doesn't reach the highs of, like, I think Carcosa or... <laughs> Dimension Unseen. <laughs> it doesn't reach the highs of Circle and Dun, or, <laughs> Circle and Dun or Carcosa, uh, or even some of the better ones of... Forgotten Age. Because I want to reiterate, like, this this didn't, it's not like uh, Forgotten Age, which you guys apparently love now, which, like, was just actively kind of frustrating and I annoying. I like, love. I didn't dislike this. It just, I was a little bit disappointed that I felt like it maybe didn't quite live up to my expectations, which maybe were unfairly high. So that's, maybe that's on me. Yeah, I think, like, averaging it together, I guess it is more in the middle for me, but, like, splitting them apart, like, Campaign A, great, love it. Campaign yeah. B, like, it's all right. That's exactly my sentiment, I think. I'm also, and, and we had a fun run through the dream side, mixing it in with um, the Excelsior Hotel, because that's part of uh, Inception. They go to a hotel when they're, when they're dreaming. <laughs> so I, I, what I'm, what I'm kind of looking forward to is I think it would be cool to mix in the dream side of this with various unconnected standalones and be like, oh, then you're going deeper inside the dream and you're having a dream about Egypt or something. Yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of what, what my partner did. So it was, it was more fun that way. Plus, Guardians of the Abyss kind of has some connections to this with, like, the dreaming and people being asleep sure, anyway, sure. so yeah, yeah. it kind of fits in. Yeah. So. I mean, it definitely does. It has a whole section, I think, where you go to the dreamlands. Yeah. You could, you could do, like, a, you could do, like, a, that as, like, a prequel to this or something. Yeah. I thought, I thought one thing that was interesting about the Dream Eaters, it introduced two things mechanically that were very different from, like, completely new from other campaigns in that the skulls got super, super hard, even in standard. They got like, sometimes they could be down to like a negative nine or negative like six, depending on what's going on, like the variable involved. And the veiled mechanic helped convey more of the Dreamland story than any other campaign has ever done. The The Forgotten Age manual is like as thick as like a almost a regular book. 
And still, like, the veiled locations conveyed more text and got you more into the story, for me anyways, than than any of the other scenarios. So I like that part of it a lot, too. Yeah, the veiled mechanics was pretty good in this. I mean, it's definitely one we've seen in other campaigns, uh, but they did a good job with it. Skulls being hard, though, those are that's always a thing. I think yeah. maybe... They never scale to the degree that they have here, though. Uh, they I... do in hard mode, yeah. but I think... Uh, I think maybe in this with the mechan- the the variable was maybe less controllable. That's what it is. Uh, or, That's what it is. Or it was like for you were forced to advance it faster than maybe another campaign. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's less restricted. I think is exactly what what it is. Yeah. So that was interesting to see where where you'd actually have like negative sixes in standard or like negative nines in hard. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely a campaign I want to like try gym in or maybe play with someone's trying gym because like, cause there are like three. I think there's three skulls in. Eventually, in both campaign bags. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's definitely another gym campaign. But I did play it as Luke, and Luke just breaks everything. So it's like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably probably already the strongest mystic to play this with. Or at least a very fun one. So yeah. Who of you listeners ranks the Dream Eaters as one of your favorite campaigns? How do you feel about the interconnected campaign format? Let us know and check us out on Facebook and Reddit. Follow us on Instagram. Or comment wherever you listen to podcasts or email us at comments at mur.fm. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Is it? What? Oh, I wanted to include that in there as a clutch I was, little... I was going to pitch that we need to refer to this as uh, TD from now on. Okay. Because the Dream Eaters is one word. I was going to say, I wish we could cue like the Rage Against the Machine thing that they did at the end of the Matrix, the first Matrix, but you know. That's probably copyrighted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or trademarked. Get our asses sued. I mean, I also just feel like uh, I really like excessively making inception references about this campaign until it becomes really shitty and old and everyone hates it like i think that's <laughs> i'd much rather go in that direction than the matrix you know i mean i have written epilogue matrix in my notes but that was because there was an actual matrix well that's that's what got me thinking about decisions they were shooting the matrix four like they were shooting it in san francisco like a few weeks ago before all this show went down no well <laughs> sucks to suck yep. to have an actual apocalypse <laughs> yeah a little bit uh, it's okay. I don't know. I, I don't even care about other movies besides Dune anymore. I'm just, uh, I, I only, uh, Dune is consuming all of the love and excitement in my brain for movies. It's just, it's all Dune all the time.